Hello, welcome back to The Evolution. My name is Jeff Bayless. What we do with this project is, uh, in an effort of service, bring stories of resilience, stories of people I find interesting to have uh, a message and, and a lesson that can help us all grow uh, in persevering through adversity. Because uh, we all have a story and that, that is how we grow. Um, I have here today my good friend, uh, Jay Collette. He, uh, he is a DEC LDO in the Navy. And I'll just take a minute to explain what that is uh, so everybody understands. A lot of you may know in my audience, but some of you may not. So basically what it means is you come in the Navy as an undesignated, for our age group, come in the Navy uh, undesignated uh, as, a, as a grunt, basically. Uh, you're, you're doing a lot of menial uh, jobs, a lot of laboring jobs. And then eventually you graduate to become what's, what's known an MOS or... A Navy enlisted code or however whatever the equivalent is in any other service it, it's basically your job right and so our job is bosun mate and the bosun mate rating is inherently dangerous uh, we focus on evolutions that can range from anchoring mooring the ship towing another ship well deck operations aviation operations uh, just basic seamanship small boat operations crane operations Anyway, very, very arduous, very uh, seagoing. Uh, it's an intense rate. There's a lot of pride and tradition in the rate. And one of the opportunities, if you do well and you are successful as a boss mate, is you can apply for a, a program called Limited Duty Officer. And Jay did that very same thing. We were both uh, LDOs together. I met him when he was working at Port Operations. We'll get there, but I would say, what would you say the percentages of guys that make LDO that are bosun mates? And that the number is so small that it would be it would be hard to quantify because out of all the ships that are out there, you've got about thirty amphibious ships and another ten carriers. That's about the pool of people out of the three hundred ships in the Navy. So basically. 10% of the ships uh, can apply for this. Even. Right. Uh, so very it's, small number. Yeah. Very, very elite community. Uh, a very diverse community as well as it has grown and evolved. Uh, but it's a very elite community, and Jay did exceptionally well. Had a lot of potential for growth, a lot of potential in the Navy, uh, and still has a lot of potential, but he also had a life-changing event that he wants to share with you today. And so, Jay, thank you. I appreciate your time and uh, your willingness to come share your, your story. Absolutely, Jeff. Thanks for uh, for having me here, and um, we'll kind of go through this uh, discussion for the next however long and uh, hopefully shed some live light on it, and um, hopefully at least a few people will take some tips out of this and help them, help them in the future. It will, it will definitely be helpful. It'll be good. Uh, so let's let's like I like to do in sharing a story. Let's start chronologically and just kind of go back to your, you know, how you got to where you are, because uh, that is interesting. So it wasn't always easy for you to get to where you are now. Uh, so let's let's go back to how you got into the Navy and how did that work for you? Yeah. So my my um, path is a little bit different than all the other LDOs out there. In fact, I like to. Uh, refer to myself sometimes as the unicorn because there's not too many people who've gone uh, through the um, 
commissioning path and then go enlisted and then go back and get commissioned again. That's right. <laughs> right. So I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so you and I you and I can uh, share some. Oh wait, the other way. Enlisted, <laughs> commissioned, enlisted. Anyway. Right. Um, yeah. So I I started my career, um, if you will, at the Naval Academy. So I was a midshipman um, on the path of uh, success, if if you will. You know, I was doing doing all the right things. I was never uh, the top of the class, but um, you know, doing my doing my part. And you know, even if you're the bottom one percent of the class of the at the Naval Academy you're still still doing, doing all right right yeah. so um, we were doing good um, and then in my junior year um, we and I was on the I was on the swim team right so um, doing the the athletics as well um, as we progress through there and then well and everybody in the Naval Academy is, is required to do a, a sport. Uh, some sport of yeah. some sort, that's correct. So um, in on my junior year, I um, gave up my position as the, the I guess, the low man on the, the backstroker. Um, I was a backstroker and uh, interme- uh, individual medley. Okay. Uh, 200, 200 IM. Uh, you okay. know, now that, that's what... Uh, Michael Phelps and those guys do. Got it. Obviously not as, not as well as, as them. But you were not on Michael Phelps level. No, not always. But, I mean, I was in, in um, special, or Sports Illustrated yeah. back in 1994-ish. Oh, really? Yeah. I, 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 got, I got 10 medals during the Junior Olympics, uh, 94. Five gold, three gold, three silver and two bronze wow i didn't know that yeah, yeah so cool. I was, like i said i was i i love swimming man yeah. i was it was uh it was everything uh to me and then um during my junior year you know like i said there's two people there three people um are allowed to uh, i guess go to each position right so there was two people to be that needed the same spot and um, I gave up my position to the freshman because um, it helped me when I was a freshman to be on the team so I was like yeah that guy needs it more than me so he we, we let him have that spot and then um, that was kind of my first spot where it was really tough for me because now I didn't really you know I didn't have a place at that point. I started trying to run. I did the rugby thing for a minute, and then I got injured. Um, that's where <laughs> I tried to. Uh, my senior year, we went back to the that we do reform, you know, every year. So at the end of the summer, you go come back and you have to do your PRT. PRT right. is the uh, the Navy's physical readiness test that twice a year. Uh, right. You have to. Pass a, a run, um, push-ups, sit-ups, yeah. and, and then there's a body composition assessment where they basically, not very accurately, but measure your uh, body fat percentage. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, and uh, for us, um, the minimum time was 10 minutes 30 seconds for a mile and a half. Um, I crossed the finish line about 11:13. So right. I was a little bit slow, eh, you know, and. and 
looking back at it, everything that I uh, kind of blamed for everybody else, it was all on me, right? So I could have, I should have done a lot more to put myself in a better position, right? So at this point, um, I was separated from Naval Academy, um, went home, um, kind of waiting on orders to go. So you got, yeah. you got kicked out of the Naval Academy. Yep, I did. But they didn't let you off your contract. To, no, so because to the Navy so the for the Naval Academy, it's once you go past your junior year, you go you have to sign a, it's a it's called a two for seven paper. Basically, if you finish these next two years of school, you're going to get seven years of service, right? right. Yeah. So, and that's that's why they because the payback, if you will, um, is pretty expensive, I guess. Um, so, when I was separated, I was given an option: I can either pay back the money or I can uh, enlist in the Navy. So, is it either how hundred? Was, how does that blow? Uh, like, how did your family take it? Like, how how did you deal with that? You know. So it was. Um, I mean. Did you look at it as a failure at the time? It was uh, it was a crushing um, blow. I mean, that was everything that I was had ever planned to do and tried to do. You know, I'd every I'd done everything to try and get to that point. Right. Um, it was it was tough. And then they basically just kind of said, "All right, thanks for coming. Uh, good luck somewhere else." Yeah. Um, so I uh, went home. Um, and they, they said, hey, all right, we're going to, uh, we're going to um, give you orders to join the fleet. So uh, we'll call you in about six weeks. So I went home and lived in my mom's basement for a couple weeks. Uh, while that happened, I got a job, you know, working, uh, working as a, landscaper during the day and at night I was uh, doing a bartender thing um, kind of keeping up my bills and paying back parents and stuff like that um, did that about six weeks and then um, I didn't get a call from the people at the Naval Academy and said where I was going to go so we called them and they said um, your package isn't done yet we'll call you in two weeks well, this happened, and so that was September. So it was October, November, December, January. You know, kind of we kept going on there. And finally, in, in March. Did you think they just forgot about you? No, I was. I mean, I was calling because yeah. they they told me, you know, don't don't buy a motorcycle, don't get married, you know, don't do all the things that midshipmen are supposed to do because the goal was for me to go back, right? So yeah. that was my goal. Um, so I needed to do these things. So I didn't, I didn't do anything that I would, would jeopardize on myself, including, um, enrolling in school somewhere else. Right. I could have enrolled in another college, right. continued, uh, with my uh, career, but instead I was trying to do the right thing, if you will. So like I said, out of 17 people that left campus that day, I was the only one who actually like really pursued to, to try and come back, come back. So finally, in in uh, in April, I contacted my congressman's li military liaison. Basically, said, "Hey, man, um, 
do I need to, what do I need to do to continue either go back to school? Like I need to, I need to, I need something. I need some closure. Um, within uh, a couple of weeks, I got orders in a piece of paper that just says, hey, show up at this place at this time. Right. Um, so I showed up in Washington, D.C. Uh, no uniform, no nothing, just a piece of paper that said, be here on this date. I uh, showed up. Um, they didn't know what to do with me. There was the people at the police, or not police, the uh, temporary housing, if you, mm-hmm. if you will, excuse me, they had no idea what to do with me, um, and they kind of put me in the corner and while well, they try and figure it out. One of the people I had to check in with was the career counselor, right, who's, you know, kind of give you advice on what you're going to do next. I had done all of my previous midshipman time in Norfolk, Virginia at the, the USS Gunston Hall and the uh, Portland Mm-hmm. Right, so I said, "Well, the amphibious base was kind of nice. Let's do that again." So yeah, because when you're a midshipman, they send you out on ships. For correct. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, you already had some experience there. And, yeah. Well, it was experience in the fact that I went to a ship that was gray. But you know, the midshipman. No, you're not doing anything. Not, you're not doing anything, right? <laughs> so like, I I tried to follow along, and you know, we tried to do all the right things, but typically we were you know told like, "Hey, go sit in the corner." I'm busy studying for my swoop in or whatever the, you right. know, so, um, we probably drank too much and partied too much and enjoyed it as, uh, more of a vacation than anything. But anyway, so I, I enjoyed Little Creek just cause it was close to home, right? Five hours from where North I, North where North. I live yeah. normally. So, um, <laughs> I said, I want to go to Norfolk and that's what they did. They gave me orders to the, the Ponce. It showed up on the, the Ponce in May or June of 2000, uh, 2000 right? Okay. Showed up on the quarterdeck, didn't have a uniform, didn't have nothing. And then uh, got chewed out for being out of uniform. And then I said, I didn't, I didn't have anything. Right. <laughs> so we can go through this, you know, the probably a whole nother uh, podcast about that that whole thing and how it worked for the next six months and, and years because I didn't get paid for six months and right. I had a lot of um, people in the command who were trying to help me out to, to get me the way forward and, I mean I did not get paid I'd, it's amazing I mean now that would not be tolerated but it's amazing you're able to persevere through that alone because yeah. You're working in an arduous job for six months trying to do well. Yeah. And you're not getting paid. Yeah. So my my chief at the time, they were trying to, basically what was happening is um, they would loan me money through the ship's MWR fund to basically meet my necessities, right? So, And I've still got the paychecks. It was $230 every every pay period. Right. That's what I got. Um, And... I thought that was the right way to go. It was my chief. I mean, he was trying to take care of me, right? Well, then... MWR is a program uh, in the Navy that basically that their morale, welfare, and recreation. So they... That's interesting. It comes out of that pot of money. Now it would be like Navy Relief Society. Right. Well, it was, it was definitely... Um, 
I don't want to say under the books, but it was it was thinking outside the box. It was, yes, absolutely. I mean, they were trying to do everything they could, and then finally, after again about six months, I emailed my or not emailed. It's back in back and in the day. Was, you know, wrote a letter to my captain and said, "Hey, sir, um, I enjoy doing my job. I, I I like being here, but I can't keep borrowing money from." my parents and from this MWR fund right? because I'm going in the negative, you know, $500 every two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and, but you eventually did well and bounced back from yeah. that, right? So, I mean, so the, the captain, the, he, he fixed it like that and they gave me my back pay and all that stuff and, you know, off to the races. Right. So I, uh, people underestimate that. I know when I reverted back to chief, I didn't get paid for a long time yeah. either. And I, I'll tell you what it was, and I, I'm not, I don't harbor any animosity about it, but somebody just didn't do their job. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it's really hard, uh, you know, if you're not getting paid, it's not necessarily that you just are trying to make a lot of money, it's that, you know, it's hard to get up and go to work every day Yeah. knowing that, you know, potentially, you know, it's all, you're not able to take care of yourself at right. the same time. Yeah. You know? Absolutely, um, and so nobody nobody joins the military thinking they're going to get rich. However, it is nice to be able to pay your bills. <laughs> you correct, because yeah. it was. I mean, yeah. it was it was piling up, and it you know, borrowing money from my parents, buying borrowing money from the ship's MWR fund. Yeah, with no income, it was. Well, I've talked to guys that you worked for back then, and they said you were a superstar. Yeah. And uh, eventually, you made E six, which is unheard of. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I buckled down finally and said, "All right, I'm gonna do this thing." And um, so, we'll back up just just a touch. But so, the first first year out of out of service, if you will, um, I had no desire to go back to the Naval Academy. I just said, "Okay, I'm good. I'm gonna." continue with my life and be done with that part of my life then on my first deployment I met a chaplain who was uh, amazing amazing young man and we talked about um, life and we talked about resilience and some of that stuff and you know kind of he said hey look you've already got this base if you will um, it doesn't really transfer to the rest of the world so why don't you go back and do that and go back to finish up your degree? Because you only need basically a couple credits to finish sure. your degree. So I, I, I said, all right, that's a great idea. So I, I started, you know, getting down the path of uh, getting getting back in shape. I went back up to the Naval Academy, um, did the PRT thing twice in one day, aced it out. You know, all right, got it all together. I was the sailor of the year on the Ponce as a as a second class. Wow. Right. So that's not very common that that's you have. That's never common. Yeah. So I mean, I had all my ducks in a row. I was gonna go back. I was gonna go be. You know, I was just gonna finish up my year. Of, you know, being a midshipman and get a commission, do do my thing. Well, then, um, 2002. That was my. That was my. That was my. Plan A, B, and C was to go back to class of 2000, I think it was 2003. Mm -hmm. um, so I got a call in that April time frame from Colonel Vetter, 
uh, he's a marine, a marine colonel um, who was, I think he was the dean of commissions or dean of admissions at the time. And he called me and he said, hey, you know, Boats, um, we loved your, your package. Um, unfortunately, we're not going to let you back in this year. There's not enough um, spaces for the, with that class. Mm. So I was kind of crushed, right? So this was my plan A, B, and C was to go back to school. Now I, what am I going to do with my life? So I re-enlisted because that's the only thing I had to do. I was not going to go back to live in mom and dad's basement. Right. Um, again, great support system with the guys I was working with on the ship. I enjoyed my job. Uh, you know, we went and did the Mediterranean thing prior to 9-11. So, you know, everything was kind of looking up, if you will. Sure. Then I, you know, the girl I was going to get married to, uh, we kind of split ways, if you will. And so I started that down, downward spiral of, of drinking a lot yeah. um, and kind of put myself uh, in some bad, bad positions uh, at that point. And then I transferred to my next ship, or not next command, if you will, which was a, an afloat training command. And I. Uh, and so, afloat training group, what they do is uh, they train and qualify, or certify is a better word, uh, various commands, but mostly ships, on uh, different warfare areas so that they can deploy. Correct. So, it's. It's not maintenance, it's readiness, and that readiness is because they are training and certifying commands that, that can uh, that can go forward. That you cannot deploy unless you're certified. So you are training the fleet to go into deployment. Correct. And we were I mean we were deployed or underway five days of the week. Right. Every week. I was the junior guy, so I got to go on just about every mission. And he, you were in the uh, VBSS, which is Visit Board Search and Seizure, Correct. which is basically uh, boarding ships to, uh, well, a myriad of things, I guess, but it's, yeah. it's opposed boardings, for the most part, and also force protection, right? So a lot of gun stuff. Yeah, it was a lot of a lot of fun. We we established the. BBSS program from infancy because at the beginning we were doing the kind of pre 9-11 um, container ship uh, inspections and embargo stuff versus WMD we kind of transitioned to that where we were doing uh, climbing up the side of ships and stuff like that so it was a, it was a lot of fun yeah, 9-11 changed everything for everybody. Yeah, it was... Especially if you were in the military during that time. There was man. some drastic changes going around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, during that kind of falling out, if you will, with the that young lady, um, I was, like I said, I was drinking a lot and probably doing, doing a lot of poor life choices, if you will. And yeah. luckily I had a... A master chief, bosun's mate, who kind of kicked me in the nether, nether reasons and kind of put me back on the path, um, yeah. which was a great, I mean, sometimes you need that, uh, and I definitely did. Um, so, kind of fast forward a little bit, went to the next ship, uh, 
Fort McHenry LSD type um, deployed again. An amphibious ship. So their their mission is uh, basically put Marines ashore. So yep. a lot of cool, sexy gear, hovercraft, uh, landing craft like you would see in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Uh, we did um, we did a deployment on the coast of, west coast of Africa, uh, mm -hmm. training um, host nation um, navies, if you will, um, up and down the Gulf of Guinea. So we I mean, oh, okay. we, we were in port more than we were underway, but we were doing all training, small boat stuff. Cool. It, it was it was a lot of fun. And then we uh, deployed again with the Marines in 2009, and then obviously Haiti. Yeah, uh, 2010. Well, I've been to Haiti, man. Yeah, and uh, but then I got I got commissioned. Actually, we left from Haiti, uh, got commissioned, and then went back out to the Truman. So deployment, 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 kind of. So uh, let's back up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you submitted your package for yep. a limited duty officer, which I already explained before is a very elite community. Uh, it's very uh, there's a a board with senior personnel that goes to another board of senior personnel in Millington, Tennessee, where they decide if you're worthy or not, and you were selected, uh, and that's when you went to the Truman. Correct. And yeah. that was your first tour as an officer, so when we say commission, we mean, you know, you became an officer now, so your uniform changed, you're wearing khakis now, and you're an officer and an LDO. Right, and I, uh, yeah, so I was, uh, the assistant first headed over there, and I, again, great leaders who let let us kind of run the run the program and provide us with very little um, course corrections, if you will. Um, so I got to learn a lot under some great guy, uh, great leaders. That's one of the benefits of an aircraft carrier like yeah. the Truman is that you have senior leadership because it's such a large command and it's, mm -hmm. you know, such a large um, deck department and deck force. You know, there are three Mustangs there, right? So you had a bus yep. in the AFL first tenant and you were second, second there. Yeah. Uh, and then, so you got your officer of the deck letter there, which means you learned how to drive an aircraft carrier. Correct. You deployed there to Fifth Fleet, right? Yep. Which we deployed over there. So, so anybody that doesn't know about that, driving an aircraft carrier in Fifth Fleet will take years off the end of your life. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, I oh, can... Jesus. We can tell some stories about you know turning the lights out and running from bad guys it was uh it's pretty pretty intense i was just always more afraid i would hit a dow in the middle of the night oh i the, like the small boats out there we can we can go you know after this and i'll tell you some stories that yeah are you know it'll, it'll make the hair on your back of your neck stand up man. i have some too brother yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you did well there that's very arduous yeah. duty and then you also got qualified so every officer yeah. is, is required uh, well it was highly encouraged Correct. Uh, back then, uh, and things have changed, but you got your surface warfare officer qualification, which it's not really important, but I mean, it is an important qualification. It's not important to describe it, but it's, it's very lengthy process. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of studying, a lot mm -hmm. of boards, a lot of, uh, they don't just give them away. So correct. And the, again, the command leadership we had there was uh, top notch. So they, you know, they held the standard. And, yeah. You know, there was no good for them. Um, and it, you want uh, leaders like that, and, and so it was great. So we spent 22 months uh, in the shipyards period. So um, 
kind of between deployments there. So not a lot of opportunities to study, drive the ship, any of those types of things. So right. De deployment, 22 months of uh, downtime, and then back on deployment again. Uh, yeah, and then for people that don't understand that, there's a there's a life cycle in all military. Uh, this isn't just Navy-wide, but uh, it's military-wide. So there's a maintenance phase where you basically work on the equipment, then there's a training phase, like we mentioned before, and then deployment phase. So what he's described is he was there for two deployment phases. Yeah, right. absolutely. Um, and then you went to uh, ACU-4, right? ACU-4, that's correct. We, we uh, So ACU-4 is um, the... We talked about the landing craft earlier, so the assault uh, ACU-4 is the um, landing craft or hovercraft, uh, if you will. So we had um, a detachment of five landing craft um, over across two ships, um, and we went into the we went to, we did a lot of cool stuff over there. Some stuff that was uh, they didn't even tell us about it, and they told us. Um, the ship had a couple of missions that they made us uh, sit on the beach for six weeks while the the ship did some uh, some stuff while we were gone and stuff did, you can't talk about here. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, <laughs> Be careful, I, man. I, I, well, I don't even I don't even know because they just You're said, "Hey, beach, yeah. you guys just get away. You yeah. can't be here." So it was it was kind of neat, um, very uh, taxing because it's hard to do when you've got maintainers who need to be employed and do stuff right but there's really nothing to do so yeah. keeping people um, entertained motivated motivated is and yeah. um, making sure that they're uh, doing all their uh, qualifications and stuff like that then you went to so you did well at all of these commands and then yeah. you went to port operations which is where i met you yep um i would say that job for you so Tell us what that is, uh, but I will just say this job for you was also arduous, uh, but you got to network a lot there, right? Yeah. So, so we were. So was, I was the scheduling officer there. I was, I was scheduling and the uh, the deperming officer, but the scheduling officer was, you know, exactly what it sounds like. So we've got 61 ships home ported in in Norfolk uh, and Little Creek, and our job uh, was to manage the schedule there right so you got 14 peers and 61 ships and who needs to go you know where and stuff like that um, not only tap not on that we've got uh, maintenance requirements so this this pier was unavailable for this amount of period for maintenance and stuff and then I we, know for you guys the biggest uh, would be like sorties or yeah, hurricanes. So, so when ships have to get, so when storms come, yep, ships are safer at sea than um, tied to a concrete block. Yeah. Uh, and so, I know that's an, a big time for you guys. You know, it yeah. could be, and and also I would, I'm not sure if you were going to talk about this, but like your phone's always ringing. Yeah. You know? So you're always coming into work. You know. There's a storm coming in. Oh, I guess I'm going to work now, right? Yeah. So uh, there was, I mean, my my wife, um, she hated that phone. And probably the best thing that she ever did was, you know, when that phone, uh, because 
you know, the, the office closes at 1600, right? Yeah, well, but you're always Stuff on happens yeah. in the middle of the night. I mean, I got calls at 2 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes it's routine stuff. Sometimes it was, um, hey, a ship. Um, we had some helicopters crash. We, we had several in- events that we were, you know, multitasking and, you know, calling uh, Coast Guard events and, you know, kind of working. Sometimes there were times where I had two phones in one hand one hand and in the other and yeah texting at the same time it was i had crazy i had to work with you in a very uh complicated offload of three ships in port actually it ended up being four because uh, we involved another ship using landing craft and i'll just i'll say this for you like you are extremely professional and very organized and coordinated that entire thing and gave those ships the support they needed to do their job that i it was unlike anything i had seen before so yeah, that was to say you were good at that job is an understatement. Yeah, I was. Uh, that was probably like the, if you will, the, the highlight of my career. I enjoyed it because every day was different, right? Everything right. was was a challenge. Um, you had, you know, not only sixty one ships, but you had sixty one uh, commanding officers who have their own um, priorities, and you know, everybody's um, has different. Um, challenges with maintenance and you know it, it was it was a great time because everybody needed something and trying to figure out trying to meet all those demands you can never get it all but it was trying to you know get to an 85 percent solution Problem as many solved. times as you could that that was probably one of the best best things I ever did and then i don't know if i said this earlier but basically how it works for us is that there's a pipeline so there is a career progression that is and, and Jay, you were tracking along that career progression. Uh, and part of those pinnacle tours for us is serving as the first lieutenant on, an, on a landing platform dock on an LPD. Uh, and you weren't, nothing happens on accident. Nobody gets lucky. It's all like, you know, you had the, the right connections. You had done the right jobs yep. and you did everything, all the homework you needed to do. And then you got selected for orders too. Mesa Verde is the first attempt. Yeah, so I, I transferred from the from Port Ops in uh, June of uh, June of eighteen, I think it was. Yeah, and came aboard the uh, Mesa Verde um, as the first tenant. Um, actually relieved, um, you know, kind of we did a uh, a duty swap. So I relieved him, he relieved me. Uh, our community is that small that we can kind of do that. Um, so. Came aboard Mesa Verde, hit the decks running, you know, moved the ship into the dry dock, uh, got a two-year uh, maintenance availability. So the ship's going to be cra- basically broken down to parade rest. Uh, we had to take, I think we had um, at one point um, 24 holes in the side of the ship uh, oh, wow. for various different um, tank cleanings and maintenance um, requirements, pieces of the engine were being brought, brought on and, and off, stuff like that. So then we had, um, what was that storm? Florence, I think it was. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the uh, hurricanes came through. So we had to prepare a ship that was full of holes for a storm. Right. right. So we had to basically in 96 hours uh, get all those holes. They're called TAOs or temp- temporary access openings. Mm-hmm. Um, welded all those closed and basically 
made the ship watertight again so we could uh, weather the storm in a ship that doesn't have engines or anything like that. And what that really means is now your training phase is going to get compacted. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So those those three days that the storm actually impacted us probably uh, shift, shifted back three to three months. You know, for yeah. every day you're not doing work, you're uh, it was horrible. And uh, this is where the the turning point. This is where you really have the most resilient experience you've had, or the most challenging experience, probably. Yeah. So, so on um, Thanksgiving Day. Well, actually, it was it was, it was Friday, Black Friday of last year. So, it was, um, I woke up in the morning, um, and I went to log on a computer. Right, same thing you do probably a hundred times every day, every time you type your computer or your, type your uh, your password in. Um, I couldn't figure out how to do it, right? I was, you know, I, I probably tried it 15 times. I couldn't do it. I got frustrated and I said, stop. I'm just done. I'll let my wife do it. So I let her kind of get on the computer and um, logged in for us. Um, and then... <laughs> Uh, we were doing some Black Friday shopping, if you will. Um, and so I was trying to point at the screen of what I was trying to buy because I had a list of things that I was going to buy. And I couldn't tell you what on that screen was. I mean, I knew what it was, but I couldn't articulate what it was. Turns out it was a computer. I was going to buy a, a computer. I couldn't say the word computer. But then my wife said, you know, the computer, I was like, yes, that thing. Right. So she was starting. To, she was starting to pick up on some of the clues, like, "Hey, what's what's going on here?" Right. So, um, and as it as the morning progressed, this was probably seven o'clock in the morning. So probably about eight o'clock or whatever. This had kind of progressed a little bit. And said, "Maybe we need to go to the doctor." Um, so I went to the went upstairs and took a shower. And all right, we're gonna go to, go to the hospital. So let's do that. And and I went to call my relief. Um, on the sh or the guy I'm gonna relieved on that Saturday, uh, I was gonna call him and say, hey, you know, I may not be at work tomorrow because I I don't know what's going on, but I may not be there. I couldn't read my my uh, contacts list. I couldn't tell you who those people were. I mean, I could read it, but I couldn't. All I, the phone numbers and names that you put in your phone. Yeah, I couldn't tell couldn't you. Tell I couldn't tell. Who, I it yeah. could say, you know, I couldn't tell what, you know. Luckily, one of them said bosun, right? Because usually everywhere I've been, I've you know, tried to uh, hold those uh, specific people. You know, that is the bosun. Because you always, you always call a bosun when you need something done. So luckily, I, my wife said, hey, is, is that the one? I said, bosun's a, a job title on the ship, a guy that worked for you. Yep, made That went more uh, RLDO. Yep. Yeah, yeah so... Um, she looked at the, at the screen and said, is that him? And I said, I guess. Um, and she, she called him and, you know, it turns out it was the right one. And then she called the CEO, you know, so she kind of started that, that path to the notify notification him. process. Yeah. In the process, we're kind of headed to the hospital. Right. And again, I was kind of like the, all right, I'm going to go to Portsmouth. So we were kind of lollygagging along, if you will. And I I just I broke down. I, I I couldn't. The words, unlike the the signs, and I, it just it was 
it was uh, I couldn't even read the words on this. It was just the most uh, the scariest thing that has ever uh, happened to me. Right, so I couldn't I just couldn't articulate what was going on. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's all right. So let's go to the ER. So we went, you know, rode up to the ER. It was probably five minutes from that, and you know, I was I was kind of panicking at this point. Sure. We walked into the uh, walked into the the waiting area, if you will. There was probably five or six people there, you know, and I walked myself. It's not a it's not a big deal. I just walk in there. You weren't bleeding. No, I wasn't bleeding. You know, there's no physical signs of anything wrong with me, right? So. Um, <laughs> she said, all right, what's going on? And as soon as I started to try and talk, she was like, oh, sit down. Like, they knew exactly what was going to ha- what was happening. They put me down in the chair, didn't even take me up, you know, didn't even for vital signs. They just took me straight into the, uh, the trauma unit, or will, if you will, and then they uh, uh, rushed me in for a, a CAT scan, like right away. There was no, hey, let's see what's going on. They, they said... I didn't know what was going on, but they, they knew what it was. And very professional. Those guys were awesome. Yeah. Because uh, there's a, uh, here in Chesapeake, there's a, a stroke uh, clinic, and they those they were on it. And um, Man, I guess you got lucky then, huh? I mean, so they, so they, yeah, they rolled it. They rolled me, uh, they, they finished out the CAT scan, and they came in, and they sat down, and they said, well, you had a stroke. And, and I said, okay. And you're 40? 40. 40 two years old yeah um and so they said you know you've had a stroke and i said okay cool what is that like i don't even know what that means like huh yeah what are you talking about so um tell us tell us what a stroke is so you obviously didn't know that at the time yeah at the time so so now i've 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 learned because people just say that like Hey, you heard this guy had a stroke, but people don't understand. I, I, honestly, me too. I yeah, didn't know. most most yeah. people don't, and and we'll we'll talk here, you know, in the as we're wrapping up, um, kind of some things that I've learned. Um, sure. But so I couldn't um, articulate anything. Mm-hmm. At, at this point, it was kind of very broken words, and I'll here in a minute I'll share you a uh, a text that. I yeah. said to you um, a couple of days later, but um, I couldn't, uh, you know, I just couldn't, and I kind of broke down because I just, I, just could, I had nothing. Um, so they put me in the, uh, they wheeled me upstairs and said, all right, so let's going to start through the recovery process. Um, and I went to go see a speech, she was a speech pathologist, and she was amazing because she started asking me some questions and asked me basic questions that are kind of standard everything things everybody knows right like all right who's the president right everybody knows who the president is right i couldn't tell you who the president was i think i said bush mm. right like apparently i was off by a couple of years i couldn't <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you what year it was i was stuck in 2016 it's probably because you wanted bush to be the president I, who knows, <laughs> right? But so I, I, she said, all right, so what year is it? I said, 2016. No. Yeah. And so I couldn't get any of these like little, um, I guess they're normal questions they ask to everybody that are like telltale signs. And they said, all right, well, here's where you're at. And I said, all right, so what's the, what's the recovery plan? Or what's like, all right, what's next, right? So... 
through this process, I, um, you know, I was, I was kind of defeated right in the beginning. I, I mean, I could, there's a clock in front of the wall. That was my, that was my arch mimith. Arch. Well, let me, let me, I don't want to gloss over this because we, we can definitely later talk about resources and what you've learned, yeah. but essentially, as you explained it to me, what happened was a, a blood clot. Yep. So basically lodged into the left side of your... Yeah, so there's, you know, we have uh, vessels and capillaries and, you know, all those things, and they kind of basically get smaller, right? Mm-hmm. And so at some point, a blood clot got somewhere through the uh, blood system and got stuck inside one of those um, capillaries. And what that does is now the that portion now becomes starved for oxygen right so you've cut off the blood supply from this whatever it was connected to and it you don't have any blood so you know it it basically at some point that portion dies right so it just but it could go it could go to your Yeah, could go to your heart. It could go yeah. to your lung. Could go. Could yours, go anywhere. yours went to your brain. Went to the brain, right? So, um, and mine was a a uh, what do you call it? A left side ischemic stroke. So there's several types of strokes, if you will. I mean, in, even um, in our military, um, we have guys we talk about TBI a lot, right? So traumatic brain injury. Traumatic brain injuries. Uh, that happened from explosions and stuff like that. Very football players too, right? Yeah. So small boats, yeah. right? So a lot of a lot of our guys, um, you know, you're, you're bouncing around a lot. You can shake your brain, and basically you can have something dislodge, yep. and it gets stuck in there. So that's basically what happened. Um, through that process, if you will. Um, that portion that got starved for oxygen, it's just, that's what happens. Like there's, once it's done, it's done. It doesn't um, revive, it doesn't come back. It's kinda, it is what it is, right? And initially the the side effects for you, or the impact, or the, not side effects, the effects, right. were, uh, you know, would you say slurred speech? So it was, um, it wasn't so much that it was slurred as much as I couldn't tell you what couldn't the, get to the couldn't word. get the words out right. Yeah. So they're they're just like they're in there, um, and one of those speech pathologists kind of said, "Hey, it's like taking a, a, a folder, if you will. You know, you got to file you know file folders with all your your memories and you know your your vocabulary, your this, your that, you know." one of those folders or more than one have just basically dumped on the floor. So it's still there, but now you have to search for it yeah. instead of being able to pull it out right when you, right when you want it, uh, if you will. Um, so through the um, recovery processes, we've, if we've started to go through that road, um, the brain is an amazing thing. So I've learned a lot about the brain and you know we talked in your last podcast about neuroplasticity well right the brain is a lot of this is doing the same thing so 
the vocabulary I had six months ago, I couldn't tell you. And the, I mean, I couldn't tell you. I could barely speak. If you, you know, now we can have a conversation, and it's it's noticeable to some people. To me, it's very noticeable to the point where sometimes well, those it's, of us that knew how articulate and smart and and how you were able to in a room full of you know senior officers you know right it's it's noticeable man i mean yeah we still love you but it's noticeable it, right yeah. but see one thing you just said that kind of it's uh, and and don't take this wrong but so like you said you sounded smart or whatever, like I'm still smart. I got it. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? And yes. and and I will and I will, you know, I'll defend people who um kind of cuz I've learned that a lot of our um, wounded warriors are the same type of thing where they've had brain injuries and had you know, and people like look at them like, "Oh my god, this guy's got problems." Well, he's, he's had a brain injury. Yeah. Mine is mine is more of an acquired brain injury versus a traumatic brain injury, but very similar to the the side effects if you will yeah um, so i i've uh, found myself trying to support uh, learn a lot and support more on those guys because they're uh, amazing you know and they've given a lot given a lot me i'm just kind of like unlucky if you will because well okay so <laughs> i would say you're not unlucky what i would say is you know i i'm a christian i believe that god has a plan for everyone Yep, and Absolutely. I believe we we'll we'll get into some more of this stuff, but I believe that you know like what you're doing now, what you're gonna do going forward, and just the the positive mental attitude you you've the way you've been resilient and come back from it. It's 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 gonna be inspirational. It's gonna be helpful to others. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna do good things with it. So um, I I wouldn't say you know luck. I think it was. <laughs> It was meant to be because you're gonna you're gonna go forward and sometimes your greatest what you perceive to be your greatest weakness can eventually become your greatest strength. strength. Absolutely, yeah. that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, so yes. How, how were you handling that? You know what what was? You yeah. Know, so in, did in, you ask yourself like why me? Why did this happen to me? So I had a lot of those. Well, so at first it was like, all right, this this is what happened. Got it. You know, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, be a couple weeks, get back better, and, you know, I'll be back to back to being being me. Right. Right. And and at the time, I was uh, very driven um, to get back to to being my formal self, former self. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the. Uh, well, yeah, I was gonna show you. So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you something here. So, and this this makes me laugh because um, we were talking about your your talks and how you've inspira- in, inspiration inspired me, right? So, you you guys had actually we sat down on the 14th of November to give this your speech to the Mesa Verde's team, right? Right, which was great, you know. Your your message to the to the crew was was awesome, but then a couple of weeks later, here I was like, holy crap, like what just happened? So right. I'd reached out to you and said, hey man, can I put your because uh, you just got your new tattoo, right? And then I said, all right, that that's very inspirational. To me, I need some I need some love, right? So right. 
I, I texted you and said, "Hey man, can I can I steal your tat?" Right? Just the, for the picture of my tattoo. Right. right. And and it says, uh, "Can I steal your tat?" Just door a few days, and I'm going to read this as it's written, not right. <laughs> and you were like, "Okay, cool." Like my tat, and I said, "Yeah, man, uh, what's going?" You know, and immediately you said, "Okay, so what's going on? Like, what do you need help?" And I said, "I need some negative." This is actually tough to read because it's just hard to read. It says, need some good negative vibes. Some of these bad vibes from the say say nayers in the best English right now. That's what it says, which that is very uh, discombobulated, if you will. Right. Like to me, it was, it made. As I thought best you were as drunk. I could. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I think he's drunk, dude. I was like, this guy, this guy's putting one on tonight. So I've got, I've actually got several text messages that I've kept, not not just these with with you and me, but um, several other people who kind of reach back to me. Yeah. And I look back at now, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty funny. In fact, my dad uh, has not showed it to me, but the day that I had an interview with the speech the pathologist, he was sitting in the corner, like, just recording the whole thing and I'm sure one day he'll share it to me and, and I can only imagine what it um, you know eventually I'll, I'll, I'll watch yeah. it and it'll be interesting but yeah there was um, that yeah, is, I mean I was that's a good test I mean that's exactly what was going on in your mind yeah. so my my again like I'm like hey man I'm going back to work like I'm getting through this thing it's it's very a um, minor, right? And so, when I sat down with the the first doctors was the uh, the neurologist. So, all right, I, I don't understand what a what a stroke like. I don't I don't know. And so she looked at all the 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 labs and everything and said, well, we can't figure out. There's no reason why this thing happened. They're healthy, you know, my labs are normal. My you know the screens are normal. Everything's normal. Like so, I don't know what it is. Um, well, that'll kind of make you, um, hmm, you know, kind of question yourself, right? Absolutely. And then one of the things that we did, we had, so we asked the, the doctor, said, uh, uh, what about blood thinners, right? Because blood thinners help you thinner blood so you don't have a stroke. And she said, oh, no, no, you don't get blood thinners until you have your second stroke. Right then, that, and I was like, no, not... I'm not having a second stroke. Like, no, absolutely not. Like, that's not even something that I don't want. To, I don't want anything. My my part of my uh, vocabulary. Like, I don't even. Got to keep PMA positive mental attitude. Yeah. And so, but man, that was like a. It was like a kick in the junk. Like, I don't want the doctors to say that. I want. I want them to tell me like, what it is that I can do to fix this thing, whatever it is. Right. So, I told the doctor several times I said you know just tell me something that, like I is tangible like if I need to eat more carrots I'll eat more carrots like if I need <laughs> yeah, to right. you, know, if, you know if I fall down and break my leg I can see the recovery and I can you know this thing we don't know and so we did you know we began testing we testing 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 blah 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 um, so through the next couple of weeks you know kind of that that high on the front side well it was starting to, you know, starting to get get down to the low, right? And so I, I, I got to a point where I couldn't, um, 
I didn't know who to talk to, right? So I, I, I didn't, I didn't know where to go to. Um, I ended up down at uh, the, the emergency, not the emergency room, down at the uh, the scheduling office downstairs for the the mental health folks to try and at hey, Portsmouth I, Naval in Hospital. Portsmouth Naval yeah. Hospital. Like, hey, I, I need some help. Like, I need. So, I mean, I was in tears. I just, I just didn't know where to go. I couldn't articulate anything and it was the most uh, frustrating thing in the world so you had told me that you uh, had insured all your life insurance was up to date and yeah so that's well that one's coming here in, okay in a couple Sorry. weeks from now yeah so gotcha. but so um so they set me up an appointment with a uh mental health professional and again at the time i was very um, guarded the way I was so like I know what my kind of speech challenges are so I try and stay in that box right so oh, right. when when I would try and have a discussion with somebody I would really let somebody else drive the question right so more yes no's kind of stuff like that more than a you know hey this is how I feel type thing so as she left after I, as I left um, that office like I came home I told my wife I said I think the doctor just turned me into a bad father like wow. it just the way that I felt and she didn't mean anything by it but it was just the way that I the questions were shaped and the way that I answers and and I don't know how we got to that point but like I said holy crap like <laughs> why I said I'm not going to another friggin you know mental health person like this is crazy like I I know I'm not a bad father like I had a stroke like there's they're so kept separately or Two completely separate things, things yeah, right? right well she was trying to... It's not like you woke up one morning and said, Hey, you know, yeah. it's Friday. Oh, I don't really have anything going on. I think I'll have a stroke. And so, I mean, I was like, no. Like this, no. That, I'm not... No. Yeah. Right? And so I, I bottled it all up again, right? So we, we talk about, um, you know, being able to talk to people and sit down and... You know, hey, this is what's going on. I need help, right? I I wasn't doing any of that, right? Yeah. Two reasons: one, I was trying to be strong. Two, I couldn't articulate the way I wanted to the the challenges I was having, and so it was just kind of like bottled up, right? So would you say you let your ego got in the way a little bit? Or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's and it's and it still does to some point, right? Because you know, like you said. I have been one who can sit here and brief four-star admirals. And yes. I mean, I've had, I remember when we were doing one of those, actually the, um, the mission we were talking about down mm -hmm. in, uh, off the coast for the Haiti, I think it was mm -hmm. where I had the two-star admiral called me on a Friday afternoon and said, Hey Jay, what do you think we should do? Yeah. I mean, that, not many people get that kind of phone call. Yeah. <laughs> Right, no, that's a fact. but and I was like, "All right, sir, here's what I think we should do." But you know, and, and we we walked through the the whole process, and and hopefully they they helped make a decision um, 
what the final decision was made, I don't know. But you know, I helped. I like to think that I helped him make a an informed decision, right? At the very least, absolutely. Um, and so now it was at this point where like I can speak in yes and no and stuff like that. Yeah. That so had it to was. Be hard, man. Oh God, it was so challenging, right? And so. Luckily, my wa- I mean, my wife, I, Karen, is, is the most uh, amazing person there because she sat there through, I mean, when we were in the hospital, she sat in the bed with me, like, sat there and, got, like, helped me. Thank God you had her. Oh, man. Without her and, and, and the two kids to kind of uh, bring, the, bring the light back to, you know, because as those, as those dark days get in front of you, it's like, hey, wait a minute. This is this is what I've got to look forward to, right? right? It's those two. It's not me so much anymore. Now it's it's them, right? So, you know, talking to that. So after the the holiday period, you know, it was looking more and more like they were gonna remove me from the ship. So in the very first, the first thing what was gonna happen? They put me on uh, temporary duty, right? And they said, hey, you're gonna go find a place to uh, recuperate, if you will. So I went to go see um, one of our buddies at Beach Group mm-hmm. and said, hey man, can I come work for you for a couple of weeks while we deal with this problem, right? And I call it a problem, but just because it's easier to say. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, you know, I, and, and he was great. I mean, he was, he said, all right, man, whatever, whatever you need to do, just check in where we need to. So, because I was doing speech, er- speech therapy three times a week I was doing um, twice a day at home. We were doing workbooks and apps. I mean, we were doing all kinds of stuff to help uh, regenerate brain waves or whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever yeah. we can do. I mean, we were, I mean, but I mean, it was a challenge. I mean, the first time I went to try and um, read a book to my children right. at, um, at bedtime. You know, Frosty the Snowman, right? It's something that we've done. I could probably do. Mm, oh, I say it now. I used to be able to just kind of. I could tell you the story of Frosty the Snowman, but reading the words was so hard for me that I, you know, it broke. Down. I mean, I, I had to stop and just kind of put the book up and held my daughter and kind of cried to sleep and said, "Oh man, yeah, it was." It was, it was, it was just the, the hardest thing to just, cause you know, I wanted to say something. It just, it just didn't want to come out. Right. And yeah. so I was trying to. Kids are resilient in and of itself though. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're amazing. And yeah. so, and my, my son, who's 11, right. We'll fast forward, you know, the, the timeline here is kind of foggy for the next couple of months. But at one point, again, we're what happens sometimes is the uh, frustrations of not being able to articulate what I want to say. Sometimes I go from kind of the zero to, you know, eight or nine, like, like that. You mean with your temper? Or yeah, yeah. Right. And it, it's not, it's not at the kids. It's, it's like, I, you know, I can't get You're mad the, at the words situation out. Them. And yeah. so my son was, uh, I told him to go get his, uh, I, I think it was a, pack of uh, like 
tissue paper or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Right? I said, hey, go out there and grab this this thing. And he went out and he comes back from the garage like, I can't find it, Dad. And I said, open up your earballs and look, right? Just because obviously the words came out wrong. And he looked at me and he goes, Dad, what are earballs? Yeah. Right? And immediately, like, you know, he kind of brought me back from that, like, downwards, you know, that kind of like, right. I'm ready to get mad at you to like, we're both laughing again. And, and so he's done. And so now that's my like, uh, when I get really frustrated at myself or whatever, he will look at me and say, earballs. <laughs> and, and it's that kind of one of the things that helps me kind of refocus, if you will, because there are some times where, you know, I just can't. And sometimes it's it's uh, you know it's it's in the uh, it's happened to me in the uh, the checkout lane at the at the Lowe's right. Yeah. Everybody's you know ten people and I'm trying to say something and it's just I can't get it out and people are like you know look at their their watch yeah, right. and say, oh man it's and I'm like dude just bear with me for a minute yeah. What but, would you say What would you say was your your lowest low and how did you get through that yeah so so as we kind of progress through the through the through the um, through the winter right so then we sat down with my financial planner right and so um, luckily we'd set up some life insurance and stuff like that. all that stuff was planned out when I was uh, younger again my wife's amazing way woman who's taking care of me uh, regardless of this thing right so as we sat down and they were doing very matter-of-factly like all right so um, you know if nothing if something happens to you ultimately uh, you're, t you're gonna be taking care of the kids right the kids and, and Karen will be taken care of and you know we're in a good place if I get to go back to work that's good you get to go back to work where we're kind of going to struggle is if you can't work and you have to be, uh, you know, not providing, right? So I've, I've been the provider in the house, right? So now I can't provide. And now whew, that was, yeah, you know, because, well, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I do. You know, that's what I, that's what I do. I try and take care of the family, and now I. Well, I, it's the expectation, right? I'm, it has been the expectation. Think of yeah. you know, and I'm trying to. Um, so it was it was very um, tough to kind of wrangle through that, and then so as we had talked about earlier, the the I didn't have a an outlet for somebody to talk to, so. Um, probably April I think it was um, I went into work one day and I was just um, I, you know I, was, I had another day where I couldn't I tried to do I tried to do a reenlistment right mm -hmm. something I've done I don't know probably a couple dozen times I raise your right hand and say this say these words well I couldn't couldn't get the words out the way that I would normally do it right I could probably struggle through it but I again I hear it a lot more and I'm more self-aware maybe than some people yeah especially you know my new job there's 
know, they don't know this, you know, they don't know me, whatever. So yeah. it was, um, anyway, so it was, I didn't, again, I didn't know who to talk to or where to talk to. And I was being too, too proud and too whatever. So I went to the emergency room down at, at Portsmouth and said, Hey, I, I need, I need some help. I was, it, it had gotten to the point where I would sit in my car, um, and just like cry. I just did. I just. I literally. I had nowhere to go. I had nothing to do. I. I just. I couldn't. I couldn't deal with all the the, the emotions, um, and it was. It was. It was tough. So, I sat down and and they were, they kind of checked me in and. And again, the more. I'm not going to say agitated. I'm gonna say that agitated, but that's not what I really mean. But the more I get, more flustered I get, mm-hmm. the harder it is to get the words out that I'm right. looking for. Right. So as we, as I went through this process, and they're like, ask me where, you know, that basket, this, you know, are you trying to hurt yourself or whatever, you know? And I said, you know. It's not so much that that I want to hurt myself, as much as just it would be better if I'm not here to be a burden for people, right? Because all the problems that were kind of piling up, if you will, um, and so it was—I mean, it was about the lowest as I could yeah. that I could be, and so it would just be better if. In, or so you thought at the time. Yes. That it would be better for everybody if you weren't yep. a financial burden because you can't provide if you, you know. Yeah. So there was, I mean, there was just a lot of uh, um, you know, very negative thoughts and, and you know. I'm glad you hung in there, man. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was rough. But so yeah. we sat down with... Um, the doctors there and they said okay so we think you are a candidate for the they called it the crisis stabilization program it's a program that um, Naval Center Portsmouth has that's a five-day um, outpatient right so I went to work every day and when went home every day. it wasn't a inpatient type thing but yeah. we learned coping mechanisms, if you will. Um, you know, we started to do a lot of um, mindful, mind, mind, mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, learned some meditation um, skills, and even I've got a, a painting that we did um, that actually I need to frame and kind of hang on the wall just because it was like, do whatever you want, you know, and it's supposed to be a, a representation of how you feel and stuff. It was, it's yeah. actually really cool. Yeah. Um, and it was very therapeutic to, to do that. Um, but it's something that I would have never in a million years. Right. It was outside of your comfort zone. Oh, yeah. Like if there's a comfort, comfort zone and then there's like the not comfort zone, I'd be like over there in left field. Like that's one thing that, uh, being in a, a situation where you're, you know, I, I describe it as like decision fatigue has been taken away. Yeah. So through my lowest of low, like decision fatigue was taken away. Yes. I didn't I didn't get a choice. Yeah. And when you get in that situation, 
your ability to get outside your comfort zone. That's kind of why I say your greatest weakness can become your greatest strength because I'm sure I'm only assuming, but there's nothing you won't try or do now, you know, to help yourself to, you know, better your situation or to help others or to do. Yeah. So, um, so as we went through that kind of program, um, it was like, like I said, five days and great of great, great people. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, there's still a, a once a month thing or once a week thing you can still go and kind of, Hey, this is what, you know, it's, it's, it's more about, Hey, look, there's other people a going tribe. through. Yeah, exactly. A tribe, a, a network, a community of like-minded people, people who, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe it's not the same, but they're all facing adversity, right? Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's dealing with something, right? So 100%. we're all here to work together to, you know, boost boost up for each other, right? I, I, I say this, I don't want to say too much about my talk because this is about you, but I say a lot in my talk uh, now. And, and with anything, as you practice it, it gets more refined and better. So, yeah. you know, but one thing I make sure to point out is that, you know, you don't get to choose whether you participate in life or not. You know, like to struggle as human, you're like, you're, you're either, you can't say like, I don't want to play the game. Right. You can't. So, yeah. It's, it's good that you found that tribe. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, I'm doing all right. And then um, we found out that we're going to go through the med board process. Like, all right, here comes the, you know, eventual um, medical retirement, separation, whatever you want to call it. Like, all right, right. cool. Your you're, you're Navy... Your Navy time is done. I mean, you you could have made captain. I mean, you had yeah. We we had we had the uh, we had the legs yeah. it, it, in in our terms of you know I had enough time, if you will, to to keep promoting um, yeah. up to that point if I wanted to, yeah. or you know punch out earlier if I wanted to. But now the Navy is going to have to decide whether well they've already decided right. So well, so so we're we're going through that that process right now um i know what it will probably be um just based on the fact that i can't be out on ship again <laughs> right so and in our job you can't do that right uh so i mean that they'll make that decision at, at some point and then at some point after that they'll say uh, here's your retirement date and we'll kind of Carry on. So let me know what that date is. I'll be your honors most mate. Oh yeah, when we when we figure that out, <laughs> yeah, I'll trust me. One, I'll know. Make sure I get an invite. Hopefully, hopefully I get to find out. Yeah. You know, because unlike unlike your retirement where you've got a date now, yeah, like mine, it's going to be a hey, you've got ninety days to get out. Like once yeah. once they make that determination, it's like all right, cool, you're done. Um, or they'll they'll tell me what my they'll give me a, a normal retirement like. But there's a life after the Navy. But, oh, absolutely. So yeah. now that I've come to that, I've finally um, accepted kind of the facts as they are. I mean, there's, there's still recovery going to be. Recovery is going to continue for the next forever, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I like to tell myself that here's where I was, right, on the, on the left-hand side. I will never be 
in that same lane again. That is that that J is not it's not there anymore. My former pad, my former person, is gonna get to that point at some point through the recovery process, and then I will continue to that's right move forward in a different path. It's just a different path because it'll be a tangent, but still a good trajectory. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that. You know that process or whatever we're gonna we're gonna move to that and it's what do you think you've learned through this entire process oh man so um learned a lot, a lot about the medical side right so one of the things that i've things that never thought of in a million years was a stroke right yeah. especially for a young guy like you and me 40 42 years yeah. old you're, it's not, you know, that happens to people who are like in their 70s, right? Well, it can happen to anybody. I mean, there's people who are have, suffering strokes in, in their teens or whatever. Sometimes it could be a, a concussion. Some could it be a, a, a traumatic brain injury from a, a, a fall, a, yeah. a, you know, a, a small boat or something like that. So it can happen. It's just something that we don't normally, normally think of. Um, but for one of these... Um, acquired events, right, where it just kind of happens. We need to know the signs, right? So, oh, that's good, yeah. You know, so we talk about um, the stroke association, right? So the the four things you talk about is fast, right? So your face, you talk about face drooping, right? So that's the typical sign, right? So the left or side, left or right, kind of your face drooping, you know, your eyes. Uh, drooping down mouth right, it's, on right. One side and yeah. so that's that's the things people most associate with a stroke is that or the arm weakness right so the arm you know paralysis the right or left side um, mine was a left side left side stroke so it would be a right side paralysis type thing yeah because uh, your brain works the opposite um, but the other one that I didn't really think about and now I've learned is that your speech is can be very much uh, a sign that hey something's not going on. So you know, so it's they call it fast. or something is going on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See. No, they're, I got you, bro. They're, 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 <laughs> it's weird. So we can sit here and have a conversation, and, and like I've gotten very good at just having a conversation. Yeah. And you'll be like, wait a minute. I think he just said something, but it's it's close enough that... Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody knew what you meant. Sorry. Right. I did, I did not mean to correct you. No, no, no. Trust me. I, I want people to do that. Like, my wife, so... Well, if I got a booger hanging out of my nose, like... Right. Please don't let me walk around with a booger exactly. on Exactly. So, yeah. te- te- like, tell me. It's okay. Like, it's okay if I say something stupid or if I say something yeah. that just doesn't make sense. Correct me so that I yeah. can... I can notice and you know carry on. My yeah. kids love doing that. Like, Dad, did you mean no? Because I I do it all the time. I'm like, yes, you can go do this thing, and then I get mad at them because they were doing it. Well, they said I, I said yes. Uh, yeah. No, I said no. Yeah. Oh no, I did say yes, but I meant no. Right. Damn it. <laughs> so it, those types of things happen, and, and it's it's you have to have a a good outlet, right? So. I could get really frustrated at all the kind of at this point they're minor kind of um, 
problems like where I switch words around or I say things, you know, or delay. I could get really mad about mm. it or I could laugh about it and say, oh, that's a new one, like earballs or. And that was a process for you as you right. Played, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you're going to. Yeah, so, I guess what you're saying is there's a. You have a choice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you can you can work better or work work forward and kind of improve or or be down down in the dumps on yourself and which which I went through, um, but luckily I've got a great support basis. Yeah. Um, that that has helped me through that process. But yeah, so back to where sorry I was talking about the the fast right so the the yep. the um, the face drooping, the arm weakness, the slurred speech, which was mine, but then also the time, right? So it's imperative that, you know, people think, like, oh, it's, you know, it's this, whatever this symptom is, it's, it's the quicker they get to you, they can do, they have a blood, or a clot, blood, clot busting drugs now that they can actually bust that clot. Oh, to kind of reverse the process. So at the time, um, Chesapeake Regional, they could not administer that drug outside of a window of like two hours or something. It oh, was, so you should have just gone in right away. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. the first the first sign, like to the first time of any sign of anything, you should, you know, aware, be self-aware and to, you know, because... It probably was happening Thursday afternoon. Yeah. Because um, there were some times where I was saying things close, but not quite. Like I would say arm instead of alarm or something like that. And then I had a massive headache that night. I attributed to to being up all night. I was cooking on the. I was smoking a turkey, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd been up all night. So I assumed it might had just. Maybe I was just tired. Fatigued. And yeah. so, but I mean, I had a massive headache. So, and I think that Thursday evening is kind of maybe where it started. We have no idea. It could have been three, four days ahead of time. Well, and you don't get a redo, right? Right. So. And it's exactly, there's no what ifs. We could, what if the whole thing. I think a broader scope uh, takeaway from that is one, if you need medical care, do it. Yes. But also, I'm definitely have been very guilty of this where I'm just afraid to get the help I need for whatever it is. Right. You know, whether it be medical, mental, financial. Yeah. My wife will try to help me with stuff and I'm like, you know, I'll figure it out. Like, I'll I'll work my way through it and I need to work on that myself. But that's good advice just on a broader scope too. Like, if you need help, don't wait around until the problem gets worse. Like, go ahead and get that help now, yeah. So that you don't compound the. Well, let let the let the professionals decide. Okay, you're you're okay. Stop being a worry wart. Go back to work. Right, right. Because I mean, in the in the in the initial stages of this, like four or five days later, I was back in the ER. Like, hey man, I'm having my my, my left arm was all tingling. Like, I couldn't yeah. feel anything. So we went like kind of rehash the whole thing turns out i had like a pinched nerve in my neck yeah just from laying in that bed but a lot of the same symptoms were there oh yeah and so you know kind of like freaking out a little bit turns out it was nothing but better to better to exactly know than, yeah exactly right. but old jay would have been just like 
Ah, you know what? Be all right. I'm good. It's you know, it's pitch yeah. nerve. I'm good. But luckily, again, my wife was like, "No, we're going." Take a salt pill. Walk it off. Exactly. I mean, how much, how much uh, Motrin poison you've probably got? Oh, like, I mean, yeah. I mean, vitamin M. I've, man, yeah. I've probably eaten so much Motrin, it's uh, doesn't do anything now. Well, I got a couple questions I want to make sure. Yeah, I ask, absolutely. And then uh, I'm, we're gonna have to kind of cut it short. Yeah, no, we'll get you. it get it wrapped up here. Um, so one question I was, wanted to be sure and ask you is, uh, from your perspective, mm-hmm. from you know everything you've been through, not only with the stroke but with you know any well, as we've already gone through, what is what would you want to say? What would you want others to know uh, from your perspective about being resilient? Like what what is your takeaway? Like what 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 would you want people to know that you know? Well, so. Everything happens for a reason. So, you know, a lot of the, the things that happened to me when I was younger, you know, at the time it was why me, right? But then it turns out I wasn't ready for that challenge yet. And so I needed to mature or I needed to get through a, um, you know, a, a, whatever challenge it was, right? So mm-hmm. figuring that it, figuring out that whatever it is and just kind of moving uh moving forward does that make sense it makes sense man yeah that's good <laughs> it did make sense all right well good sometimes i'm like i i get you know three quarters of the way through a thought and i'm like damn what was i saying let's go right back yeah exactly <laughs> oh, no that's good yeah so yeah i mean it, it happens to all of us and you have to be able to just basically get on the horse and and get back at it to whatever it was and if you need a course correction make a course correction right you know don't don't go on the same path if you will right that was putting you in the in the in that um bad area whether it was um a relationship uh a relationship with uh substances or you know if it's you know just a bad uh, leadership challenge or whatever whatever those challenges are you know if you can uh, take the best out of it and and move on you're you're gonna do make the best out of any yeah, situation exactly yeah you know, somebody, somebody told me one time said there's no such thing as a bad leader there's just good examples oh yeah who are just bad people you know John Maxwell, I read some of his books, and he mm-hmm. talks about, uh, well, he has a book titled, uh, Sometimes You Win, Sometimes You Learn. Yeah. Like, you never you never lose. Right. You know, you, you just t- learn. Uh, the only failure is when you don't learn. Yeah, absolutely. If you have a hardship, then just don't learn from it. Yeah. And then my last question, um, and I, I guess this is going to become my question I ask everyone, I don't know. But I think it is a very important question. If you had a, I mean, you had a near-death experience, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, if you, if you only, if you knew that you only had a certain amount of time left, you know, ninety days, whatever, you know, and you wanted, it, how would you want others to identify or describe, or what would you hope that everyone knew? was your character like how would you describe your character hmm it's a good 
It's a good question. Um, that's why I asked it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 tough. Uh, so I, I like one of the things, one of the books that I like to use uh, a lot is the Fred Factor. I don't know if you've ever heard this. No, before. I haven't. I'll write that down. Oh, this is a great one. So it's it's a very small book. It's ninety. It's only ninety two pages, right? Um, and, and it's about a um, basically Fred, who is he's the the postman, right? So he's the guy that brings the mail every day, right? So, but he made everything better every day, you know. And and so um, his I'm gonna say vision, um, his. Well, messages, there you go. I wrote it down. So um, there are four principles, if you will, that, that not Fred, but Fred was the, that guy. But the, 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 the author's name is Mark Sanborn. Okay. Uh, but um, anyway, so his things, everyone makes a difference. Everybody, right, no matter what. Um, success is, is built, uh, or success is built on relationships. Uh, continually create value for others, right? So try and make everything better for everybody, yeah. you know, no matter what you're trying to do. And then reinvent yourself regularly, right? So that's one of the things that we, you know, we get in a rut all the time, especially when you go through these challenging process. You know, you have to reinvent yourself to your new normal, right? Yeah. Whether it's a an adverse um, event in your life or if it's you know somebody else whatever you sometimes you have to just kind of pick up and you know move along to the next the next thing and and that's that's probably his his best takeaway from that but I've given that book out probably 30 times I've got um, I don't know where it is right now but I had everybody sign it that's written that's that's read my book no, not, okay. not my book, but that you know, I pa I would pass it around, you yeah. know, on the ship, and you know, once somebody's done, they'd hand it back to me. So when they pulled me on the ship, somebody's got my book somewhere. It's got probably ten or fifteen Very signatures cool. in it. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's but because it's it's quick, it's a quick, easy read. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a good one if you want to try and check it out. Great. Um, yeah, so. I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, I want to, again, acknowledge you and thank you for your time. Uh, I, I value our friendship. I appreciate your vulnerability and sharing. <laughs> I know it's going to help a lot of people. And uh, I have nothing but love and respect for you, man. And uh, let me know when that date is. I'd be honored to participate in any way possible. Absolutely, brother. Will right. do. Thanks. Yeah, man.